bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. How much are you looking to grow your business? 10%, 20%, maybe even 50% more? Today's guest, Aaron Grossman, is looking to scale his business to $1 billion within the next seven years. He's executing a bold vision to create a national staffing company with a very different growth strategy. Rather than opening lots of branch offices or trying to become the next Uber of staffing, his model is focused on buying and growing smaller independent staffing companies. In today's episode, Aaron talks about his vision, the critical importance of culture, and his very unique take on bringing culture to life, the value of big thinking, and what his company, Talent Launch, is doing to build a platform that drives growth for operating companies that he's acquiring. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. Back in August of this year, Haley Marketing celebrated our 25th birthday. As part of the celebration, we did what we love to do, gave away lots of ideas with a special event called the Smart Ideas Summit. Over seven hours, we had 14 presentations from many of the industry's top consultants sharing ideas on strategy, sales, recruiting, operations, and of course, lots of marketing ideas. And good news, we recorded everything and it's all free for you. You can check out all of the presentations at haleymarketing.com forward slash 25 bash. Again, that URL is haleymarketing.com, the number 25 B-A-S-H bash. We hope you enjoy our birthday present to the staffing industry. So Vicki, today is going to be a very interesting podcast. Uh, I am really excited that our guest has agreed to be on the show. Um, what's really unusual about it is that uh, for a while, I knew a lot about his business but I knew a lot about it because he kept buying our clients. <laughs> and and then true. we sort of had a transition because out of the blue, um, we end up with an opportunity to hire his head of marketing. So <laughs> hopefully all has worked out for everybody. I know we're happy. I know your company's doing well. And it's my great pleasure to introduce Aaron Grossman to Secrets of Staffing Success. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for having me. And I, I honestly don't think I've ever been introduced that way. So that was kind of, that was kind of fun. <laughs> it was, well, I've, I've, I've admired your company and what you're doing and uh, it's a great strategy. And, and in fact, I'm going to ask you to introduce in just a second, but I have to give you some background. So way back, um, I think in the days when you were at Robert Half, my parents were in the staffing industry and they went out and raised some venture money to try to do a roll-up. And at that time in the late 90s, it was sort of a, a peak period for demand to buy staffing companies. And my mom and dad said, you know, this is a better time to sell than to buy. So they ended up selling their business and they never really executed on the strategy that I think you've implemented really well. You sort of took what I think they wanted to do back then and took it to a whole different level. So I'd love to have you kind of introduce things about talent launch and what you're creating. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we're still um, honestly in the kind of infancy stages. Are you able to hear me okay? Yeah, it's great. Working? Okay. Are you good? Um, you know, we're kind of, I still want to believe that we're kind of in the infancy stages and still evolving kind of our, our business plan and our business model. But conceptually, um, it's worked out great. I mean, what we, what we saw in the market was that, you know, there's roughly, let's say, 20,000 staffing firms and recruitment firms that exist here in the United States. And, you know, 97% do less than $25 million in revenue. And, you know, so the thought is that, you know, it's a heavily fragmented market. Companies, um, you know, the customers who use staffing firms are obviously choosing to use the 97% that are small. Um, but, you know, our theory has been that 
you know, you're familiar with the net promoter score. I'm, I'm assuming Absolutely. everybody is, right? So, so when you think about the net promoter score and how customers feel about the industry, it's it, it's been pretty abysmal. Um, you know, at times it's been as you know even the negative numbers. I've seen it in the fours, right? And and so the theory that that we had when we developed Talent Launch was what if we you know we look to acquire businesses and bring them into what we refer to as a, as a network and um, and really kind of take in the power of, of economies of scale of bringing these businesses in, but maintaining their brand identity so that customers still get the look and feel of working with a small or regional uh, staffing company in their respective markets, but we're able to infuse them through the economies of scale and the, and the, and the buying power that we have and the resources that we're able to obtain to really provide this kind of shared services platform that supercharges their ability to provide a better experience for their customers and ultimately um, organically grow year over year and kind of break through that $25 million barrier that exists in our industry. So just let everybody know, when did you start doing this? How, how many companies have you brought on board so far? <clears throat> That's a good question. So, um, you know, I, you know, I started in my career, I started and obviously worked at Robert Half in the late nineties and, and started my business, my staffing company in, in 2001 which still exists today. It's Alliance Solutions Group. It's one of our portfolio companies at this point. Um, but really, in it was 2016, and kind of, you know, I'll give you a story a little bit about that. So, 2015, I won the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner for in the services category in the Midwest, and you get to go to Palm Springs, and that changed. That it really it was the the precipice of of really kind of getting to this idea of talent launch. And really what it was is coming into an environment where there were just amazing entrepreneurs who were doing way bigger things than I had ever thought uh, and never imagined in my mind. And it kind of, honestly, it influenced me. It said, you know, I got to think bigger than what I've been thinking about. There's got to be bigger problems to solve for. And, and, and right at that time is when we, we started an acquisition, our acquisition strategy. We didn't know, we didn't name ourselves Talent Launch at that time. We were still Alliance. But I had had a goal of um, a financial goal of getting to $100 million by the end of, or $20 million in gross margin by the end of 2016. And in 2012, um, I'd gotten, I'd grown the business in you know, 10 years to roughly about $42 million in sales, but I absolutely could not see the path to 100 million. And so I really paused on the acceleration of executing what we had built to really rethink and redesign um, our everything. And, and try to figure out, is there something I'm not seeing to get to hundred million? And at that time, it was when we really kind of thought of the shared services concept and thought about acquisitions being um, a part of this, but it really wasn't until I went to Palm Springs for the, the ENY national uh, award winner that really inspired me to kind of think a lot bigger. And that was really the precipice of what talent launch has become. And really, you know, that really turned, uh, you know, a hundred million dollar, dollar idea into a billion dollar idea. So we've, we've kind of passed through that hundred million dollar mark and our goal is to get to a uh, billion dollars in revenue by 2028 um, with the ideas that, uh, that we can really provide a better, um, you know, a more professionally managed, better uh, support enablement um, platform to smaller staffing companies who don't have those resources as true independents. But we still allow them to be independently operated. Every one of our operating companies has their own president. They operate with their own staff and they use our shared services to, to get the things they need to grow their business and to serve their customers most effectively. I think at this point, we have nine operating companies um, throughout our network. Um, I believe we've acquired six of them. So, um, so we've done a few of them, not a ton, but our goal is to hopefully over the course of the next few years, bring in upwards of 30 to 40 uh, additional operating companies throughout the United States that are serving their communities in a meaningful way um, and just supercharging them uh, so they can continue to grow and kind of really build on the legacy of the founder. I think that's one of the other, um, I think, value propositions that we provide to that founder who has created a, a really successful staffing company and has really done a great job of trying to serve their customers in their market in a meaningful way, and they're ready to retire, but they don't have a succession plan. So we want to be the succession plan for successful staffing companies that don't have one. And that's kind of our, our tagline, and, and that's what we're trying to accomplish. Love that. So you've done six acquisitions. Isn't 
I know culture is really important to you from reading your bio and looking at your website. So isn't that really difficult to identify and then bring in these other companies with totally different cultures? How do you handle that? That's a great question. So, you know, when I went on the journey of, of, of thinking that acquisitions could be a part of our growth strategy, um, I'm kind of that, that person that kind of dives in and really is experiential. I want to go and talk to people. So I talk to a lot of people that have been through either being acquired or have acquired businesses. And to a person, uh, it was a common theme that really easy to find a company to buy. Really difficult to integrate. And the, and the, and the, the biggest reason why is culture. Mm-hmm. Now, I had started a journey of, of really kind of understanding culture several years before I, I really kind of got into the acquisition side of it. Because I, I just remember it was 2001 when I started my business. I was 27. I remember telling myself, man, if we can just find 20 really great companies to work for, this is going to be awesome. And then, and then I just remember it was like 2006 or 2007. And I kind of lifted my head up and we have, you know, 40 employees working with 200 customers. And I'm like, wow, this is getting a lot bigger. Like, why is this happening? And so I was just really curious to understand what was that attraction to, to what, 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 what we were building. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about culture, but I had joined an organization and you might be familiar with it called the Entrepreneurs Organization or EO. Um, We're both members. There you go. So, um, so I joined in 2008 and that honestly has been one of the biggest impacts in my entire professional career. Um, And and we had, we had actually my forum, uh, which there's eight of us that we meet on a monthly basis, we, uh, we had a business consultant come in who was a kind of a culture expert and really kind of spoke to mission, vision, values, you know, purpose, things of that nature. And I just fell in love with the concept because it really was what I was trying to search for is trying to identify like, what are those things? What are those tenets that people hold on to? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I thought I got pretty good at it. Um, in fact, a lot of those things that I built out back then still exist today. But we went through um, kind of a hyper growth um, and I think it was 2000, between 2012 and 2014, we went from like 30 something employees to like almost a hundred. And, and I realized we were having more turnover than I would have, would have hoped for. And we were, we were guiding at this time, we were guiding everything we were doing by the values that we had created for the business. Um, But there was something missing. And the kind of the story that I, that I told others is I got engaged to my wife in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of that, we went through Muir Woods and I saw my first redwood tree. Have you guys ever seen a redwood tree? I was yeah. just in Muir Woods this summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've seen it. So amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And the, you know, I just remember thinking I was like in a comic book coming and walking through these things. I mean, they're huge and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, you know, for days, couldn't stop thinking about it. And I kind of thought to myself, because I just, whatever, for whatever reason, reflect, I reflect a lot about how life exists into how business should operate. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I thought about the redwood trees having really, really strong, huge roots, right? That, that make this, this wonderfully massive thing grow. But it doesn't grow in Cleveland, Ohio. It doesn't grow where I, where I live. And, and so I thought to myself, well, you know, probably those roots are kind of like, core values to a business. And if you don't have the right environment to your core values, you're, you're not going to grow a tree. You won't grow any tree at all. You won't grow a redwood tree for sure. So I, I kind of went on a two-year journey before, right around 2014, 15 timeframe to really understand what are those things that I would call pillars today in our, in our culture that feed or provide the air and nutrition to our core values so that ultimately we can grow a redwood tree anywhere we want throughout the world. And, and so our, we, 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 from that created the design of what we call the redwood tree culture, which is obviously a big redwood tree and it has our, the roots are our core values. The pillars um, are the clouds that kind of bring the air and nutrition that feed the tree so that we believe that we can grow a redwood tree anywhere we want, as long as we feed our, our values with the right in the right environment, we just feel confident that we can do that. And, in doing that, I started to feel much more comfortable about knowing who we were, who I was, and um, ultimately felt that we could find our people, our tribe, anywhere throughout the United States. And so uh, we got tested early on in our acquisition process because 
we, uh, uh, we found a company that we really liked and it happened to be on the opposite side of the United States. And, and it was in uh, Oregon. I'd never been to Oregon, never thought about going to Oregon. And uh, it was a company called Select Temp. And this was back in 2015. And uh, we went out there and, and really just used the redwood tree to kind of really ask the right questions and really see our, our, these are people that we can connect to, even though they're halfway across, you know, they're across the United States. And absolutely felt confident that we had found our people, and um, and 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 we uh, they were one of the first companies that came into our network, and uh, it's been great ever since. Like the 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 leaders are still there. Um, it's been a wonderful experience, and so that really kind of inspired me more to feel even more confident that we can continue on that on that path, and we've done so uh, ever since. And it's been um, it's been it's been an amazing ride to be honest with you, because you're just just meeting and finding your people. And knowing that you're people, it's just, it makes it so much oh. easier to do the things that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, I've seen your, the Redwood diagram on your website a couple of different times. And I like the explanation because I wasn't sure how I, the roots made sense to me, but I wasn't sure how the clouds fit in. I was actually talking to someone in the M&A world and I was asking about how they go about the process. And you know, one of the responses is, you know, we don't talk numbers up front. First thing we talk is culture. And if we don't know that we're laser focused, laser aligned on culture, numbers make no difference. Right. So how do you know when you're interviewing somebody to a potential acquisition, what, I mean, there's one thing to what they say, but what they really live, what the culture is really like, how they match to your, your Redwood. Well, I think there's questions that that we we've designed that are all tied to specific values or, or pillars. So if it's, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, our entrepreneurship core value, for example, is about taking responsibilities and, and you know owning your experience. And so we'll ask questions that are that that really work to kind of you know provide have us provide experiences around how you how you've lived that that way mm-hmm. and how you've how you've owned your experience or taken responsibility. For, for your outcomes. Um, you know, on the pillar side of things, you know, we want to know that there's environments that promote learning where active learning is one of our pillars. So we believe very passionately that we want, we want people who are always in the, the pursuit to grow both personally and professionally. So we'll ask questions like what, what, what kind of learning or education does, does the company provide? How do they feel about that? How do they develop their staff uh, and things of that nature? So we ask questions like that to kind of get a sense of, of, um, of that alignment. And, you know, I think because of the way we've designed our culture, it, it usually ends up being really inspiring for the audience that we're, that we're talking to, because they're not used to, they're not used to that. They're not used to working in a company that really truly lives. Everything that we do is off of that redwood tree. Like that, that's how we manage. That's how we build our company. Everything is about that. And it's all done uh, to serve a purpose, which I didn't discuss before, which our purpose is to motivate the world to realize its potential. And that's, um, that's something that, you know, is very agnostic and, and, and it's not designed just for staffing. We just happen to serve that purpose through, through the industry in which we, uh, we, we, we work in, what we provide services to. So our redwood tree is really designed to serve that purpose. So we build everything around the redwood tree with the intent that we are putting ourselves in a position to motivate the world to realize its potential. It starts with us as individuals. How, what are we doing to become our best version of ourselves? Then how, how can we do that with our, with our team? Um, how do we do with our families? How do we do with our customers? How do we do with our community? And hopefully if we have enough of those operating companies doing it that way, you know, hopefully when we get to a billion dollars, we will make that kind of impact where we start motivating the world to realize its potential. That's really the journey that we're on. That's great. I like the way you pull that all together. There's something else about redwood trees that I don't know if you know that I actually heard in a book I was just listening to called um, Digital Body Language by Erica Dawan. She mentions in the book that redwood trees actually have really shallow roots and they can't really exist on their own. They have to be in a grove because they support each other, otherwise they fall down. And it seems to fit so well with your acquisition strategy and who you are. And I don't know if that was intentional or. You know, it's funny. So uh, I found that out 
after the fact, but it made perfect sense. I'm like, oh my God, this is this meant to be because like, it is true. It's like all of our roots are, are underground connected, right? And so we can have companies all over the United States that are that under, underneath are connected through these roots. And, um, and that's really what makes this network, you know, work and, and, and really do the things it's able to do. So- I love that. When that works out that way. I mean, I just, that's one of those. Yeah. That was, that was like so cool to, when I, when I learned that too, that was awesome. Yeah. I was thinking though, when you're talking to the less than $25 million staffing companies, is it hard to find ones that, that are based on values as strongly because so many of them are based on, well, I was in sales. I was successful in sales at a staffing company. I'm going to start my own staffing company because I see an opportunity but it's not grounded in that same kind of culture as it is really hard to find the winners amongst the yes. 20,000 small companies. Yes. So, I mean, we've looked at hundreds of companies and all of them almost to a T have been financially, you know, strong co- companies, but really, really hard to find our tribe, to mm-hmm. find our people. So it, it, it is, but, it, but that's good, right? You want, you want something that really is, is giving you that kind of, that kind of focused lens so that when you, when you, you know, when it's right, and and that's um, and and that's great. Our, our most recent acquisition it was in Los Angeles earlier this year um, with uh, Helpmates, and uh, Dan Struvy, who's on the ASA uh, board, was the chairman. Like great company, great cultural company, um, and and that was a really you know that that was very easy to find our people there, right? And and know that we could make make that connection, and, and so far that's been great as well. So um, yeah, I mean it, it it's hard to find them, but you know we're we're in such deep pursuit to, to do that, that, you know, and, and really at the end of the day to get to where we want to get to, um, you know, if we acquire 30 or four of 30 or 40 over the next, you know, six to eight years out of the 20,000 that exist, I think that's good odds. I think we can find our people. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, so do you consider yourself a staffing company or an acquisition company at this point? Like, what is your main focus? Oh, you're asking good questions. Um, I'm asking hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good because because we, we we've actually talked about that, and you know, at, at the in the area that I sit in, we are we are an acquisition company. You know, so we are we are an acquisition company, private equity like, um, and so and then obviously at the operating company level, those are the staffing companies that are. And, and they're, they're, that's what, those are the, the activities that they're executing against, but we're, you know, my, my, a lot of my time is spent twofold. One is, is working with uh, Matt Lyon, who's our chief development officer on identifying and kind of working through the opportunities. I met with him today. We had three opportunities that we're looking at. Um, And then I I spent a lot of my time also helping out, helping to continue to evolve the foundation of services we provide to the operating companies. So uh, business intelligence has been a huge focus of mine over the past, you know, year, especially since we went into COVID and, you know, when we went into COVID in March and like many other staffing companies, you, we, you know, had to go to a remote work environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had at that time, you know, a little over 200, almost 270 employees working for us that we had to go and work remotely, you know, from a Friday to a Monday which we had the technology, the way we built our infrastructure uh, is very flexible. So everybody's got a Chromebook and, and we were already doing video video stuff for since 2014. So we were already very much equipped to kind of make that transition, but we didn't have the insights, the business intelligence to know how to manage a remote work environment. So that really started the journey of really accelerating my focus and our focus around building up great business intelligence. And fast forward to today, and I think we're, we're building out things that are just transforming the way the way we run our business the way the operating companies see their business and it's i think it's really helping these small staffing companies really identify what are some of those core things that are preventing them from taking to the next the next level of growth that they've been trying to achieve for many years so when you talk about business intelligence are are you referring to kpis are you referring to a way of analyzing market data are you referring to technology or is it a combination of all those things and more it's a combination uh, of all those things and more. I mean, right now, like, you know, some of the things that we've just recently created, we've, we've put a heavy focus on job order management. So as, as most of the industry knows, it's, it's not, it hasn't been hard to, to get a job order this, this year. Uh, it's a lot harder to fill it, you know, with the, with the talent shortage, but really kind of understanding what good looks like from a job order. We were able to provide business intelligence to show, to show them 
with, with real good detail in a very simplified way that if you don't, in our network, if you don't place a candidate into, if you don't make a placement on a job order within seven days of accepting that job order, the chances of success drop 10x uh, uh, on the percentages that we had. That was amazing. Or the fact that um, 83% of our, so 83% of all of our placements around all of our companies happen within seven days, 90% happen after 14 days. And most of those success rates come when submittals of candidates happen within 24 hours of accepting a job order. It's stuff like that, that I know none of the companies we've acquired ever had any insights into to really understand how their job orders really flow. And again, I give them a very simple reporting module that allows to that visibility. That's changing the way now that they're seeing how to operate their business from a very core fundamental way. That's fantastic. So is this technology you've built that you bought? Um, where did you built, figure out built how it. to get the insights? Uh, built it. So, you know, we, we use a, a Microsoft Power BI is the, is the tool, but we, we've been building everything from the ground up and that's really kind of my, uh, what I'm doing. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about how to, you know, what do we want to look at and how do we want to, how do we want to paint the picture through a report so that it's easy for somebody to get that aha moment when they see it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a really big, uh, I, I really am a big believer in focus and simplicity and, and, and by design, you know, having a network like we have, it is complex because there's different brands that are operating within, within our network. So there's some complexity that we, inherently have done by creating what we've created. And mm-hmm. so everything I try to do within it is trying to simplify it as much as humanly possible. That is fascinating. So, so how did you learn Power BI? How did you take the first step down that path and wanting this data, knowing that the data is out there, but you can't convert it to information. How'd you take that first step? Oh, this has been a year's, year's progression. Cause I, in, it, for, for many years, I, to, to be candid, I was trying to you know, I, I had a, I have had a big belief that we wanted to create a business that ultimately that could be run through data, mm-hmm. that business intelligence to be the key driver of how we take actions. And for many years, I was trying to have others help me figure that out and struggled to get the right way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't have the right tool. So we ended up getting Power BI. And, and that's when I kind of said, you know what, God, everybody, I'm going to do this. And, and I have you know, people that we, that our staff, like Andy Corral, who's been absolutely fantastic in our company, who helps me, she's the one who actually makes the reports and does all that stuff. So we work hand in hand, but, um, but now I'm able to kind of just, you know, incorporate my vision around it and use my math to kind of, to kind of get it to where it needs to be. And it's been, it's been incredibly powerful. And, and I mean, I don't know if you guys know, like, you know, uh, able or formerly employee stream. And that was, a, that was, that was a technology that came out of our, our, our business. And that was, that was, a, you know, another, another aspect of vision that, 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 um, that we had about, you know, technology really being able to kind of supercharge process. And, uh, and at that time there was really nothing that was formally designed in our industry that said onboarding meant something like onboarding was kind of like a, you know, something that people would bolt on or, you know, but it wasn't really like really creating a great experience. And we just felt that there was something better that we could create. We created it. And then, um, you know, because I had this acquisition uh, vision, I didn't have the funds to, to, to say I can build a technology company and oh, acquire companies to get to a billion dollars. So we, we pushed that outside of our business. And I think that's that business has over 200 staffing companies that are, uh, that are working on it now. And, uh, and I think that has, has over $20 million of venture money into it. I mean, it's been pretty cool to watch that thing grow, uh, grow. Let's, let's go down that path for a little bit, because I know, um, one of the things you're passionate about is the impact of technology and how it's changing the industry. And clearly, if you've been watching anything in the industry, the last couple of years, uh, it's gone from just the ATS companies to, an alphabet soup of new technology players that have entered the industry with some with comprehensive solutions, some with point solutions. Um, how do you see technology evolving our industry? Well, I've always felt, um, I've always tried to stay on the front end of technology because I, I, I absolutely believe that over time, it's going to continue to disrupt it or evolve it. Uh, I mean, the good thing is I think over the last decade, it's really helped to evolve our industry and provide a better way to serve our customers and a better experience. I mean, obviously, 
you know, some of the big keywords the last couple of years have been all about, you know, creating a great experience, customer experience or candidate experience. So, um, and there's tools that are created, obviously, like Sense or Herefish that to kind of, you know, um, solve for, for, the, for the issues that lie there. Yeah, I think that as I, I actually think over the next couple of, couple of years, I think technology will potentially disrupt um, traditional staffing. And I think the evolution of hiring platforms, I think, um, I think COVID has definitely accelerated the, that, um, that ideology of, of really in certain types of uh, staffing, how do you have technology, you know, execute the bulk of the, uh, of the activity required to make it happen. Right. So these hiring platforms are now, you know, named in the industry and there's a lot of them that are popping up. And, you know, I know one, for example, that I, that I have worked with, um, uh, mentored actually over the last year, they were a three and a half million dollar company, I think a year ago. And they I think they're at a run rate of over 40 million this year, wow. you know, serving, serving primarily the hospitality space. But, you know, so, so it, when, when I see those things happening, then I start to realize, okay, this is, this is really starting to kind of evolve faster than my, my hopes are, you know, we had, we had a decade probably until those really started to kind of be impactful. I think it might be happening in the next, you know, two to five years where they'll start to potentially disrupt traditional staffing companies, even with, you know, with COVID and, and the idea of work, you know, we, you know, this talent shortage, part of the reason we have it is the gig economy, right? Mm -hmm. People are choosing different paths and different work-life balance by leveraging gig economy and gig jobs. And that's not going to go away in, anytime soon. It's just a different way of, uh, of working. And a traditional staffing uh, company is usually looking at mostly 40 hour a week, you know, full-time positions, whether it's temporary direct hire, you know, and so we're not necessarily equipped unless you're more of like a day labor type of agency. Uh, we're not equipped to really, you know, traditional companies aren't equipped to really serve the gig, the, the gig worker in, in the most meaningful way. And these hiring platforms are really designed to do that. So I think there, there's going to be a, mar a marriage of the two over time, but I, I absolutely think that's going to be disruptive. So you brought a question to my mind because you see a lot of staffing companies either building or buying their own hiring platform. And then you see some of the monster players, um, you know, like Upwork being an example, that are platform companies that are adding on staffing services. Like if you hire a contractor on Upwork, you're going to get called by them by somebody who's going to be your staffing manager. Do you think... As you look at talent launch, do you think the winner is going to be the staffing company that adds a platform and creates their own brand? Or do you think we're going to have to, as an industry, play within somebody else's platform? It's a great question. I, I think it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be both. Um, I, I, so my personal opinion is the winner, because I want to be one of those winners, uh, <laughs> you know, is, um, is I think a hiring, you know, a hiring platform that, come, that a staffing agency can control has has a has a really good chance of creating success quickly. I think primarily is that when you think about staffing companies and databases, right? We have over. I think one of the issues that I think most staffing companies have, and we've been trying to solve with some of the candidate engagement tools that are out there, is you build up this database that's enormous. Like we have a million people, well over a million people in our database uh, that exists. With all the acquisitions we've done, well over a million people. We don't do anything with. You know, it's just like most staffing companies, if we're not actively engaged with them and we're working with them, we're not doing anything with them. You know, what if you could turn all of those, the, the, that, that database into the form of a hiring platform that allows, that, that is, enables companies to engage with those people without you having to be in the middle of it, without you creating the friction of being in the middle of it. You know, how much more can happen as a result of that? So I think where hiring platforms that are starting from the ground up you know, they, they're having to build that talent pool, you know, staffing companies already have that talent pool. And so I think, I, I think um, staffing companies that, that are, that are thinking the way I do about it, I think they're going to, they're going to really accelerate this and, and find the power that, that can exist by kind of marrying a traditional staffing company with a hiring platform technology. I think you're preaching David's same tune. Like I've, I've heard David say that so many times. There's this database, there's an asset you paid so much or invested so much to develop, and then you let it sit there. Why not um, market that talent? Why not 
use that talent to your advantage and why not use these platforms, which is probably even easier than marketing that talent. Um, David, do you agree? And I was grinning the whole time you were saying that because I was like, oh, I've heard this. <laughs> well, I've always yeah, I've always thought about it, even just as simply in the world of direct hire. It's been one of the soapboxes I've been on forever, but I, I think I'm, you know, oh, for 25 years of convincing recruiters that when you do a recruit to order, you're going to build a database of three, five, 10, 15, 20 highly qualified candidates. Your client hires one and the others are sort of, my analogy is, you know, they're like perishable fruits and vegetables in the grocery store. You bring them home, they're only good for a very short amount of time. And then either they're off the market or somebody else has placed them or they're not interested. So if I can make those self-service, if I can make it at a discount, because I already paid to recruit them, I could increase the gross margin from that entire recruiting exercise. Aaron, I've said that to so many executive recruiters and every <laughs> single time, like, but that would cannibalize my placement fees. So we won't do it. Right. Well, it's going to happen one way or another over time. So okay. exactly. 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 As you look at the next few years, um, what do you think is going to be most important to driving talent launches growth? Well, I think it, it, it's really uh, execution. Um, it, 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 that's where my focus is right now is that we've got, uh, I think we've created something fundamentally special. I think our foundation is, is, is really strong. There's more that we have to do to kind of really optimize it, which I, I believe in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll have like the, the foundation of what we're trying to do is we'll be optimized. We've had the, you know, the way I've looked at this is, is kind of like a lab, quite honestly. Um, you know, we're buying, you know, these companies into and bring them into our network. It's kind of a controlled environment. And from there, we've kind of lifted up our shared services from the ground up. Like, so, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's marketing, whether it's technology, whether it's learning development, um, whether it's HR and compliance, uh, you know, accounting and finance, you know, we've had accounting finance was already there, but a lot of the other ones we, we kind of had to lift up from the ground floor. And how do, how do we, this controlled lab allows us to kind of prove out our value proposition in each of those categories. And, and so we, we, we feel like we're getting closer and closer to really driving that value proposition across all lines of, of, of shared services that we provide our client, our, our clients, which are our operating companies in the network. And I think what we, what we want to be able to demonstrate and, and, and drive case studies around, because we're still working towards this, is the consistent organic growth uh, of the company. I mean, COVID kind of put us into a, you know, a, a position where we couldn't prove it out this year because you know, it's really easy to grow this year because last year you, you didn't, right? So it's like, you're going to grow just by happenstance. But so our hopes are is that in 2022, we'll be able to validate that um, everything that we've built and the way we're, we're driving advi our advisory services to the operating companies, we will demonstrate on a consistent basis that we can help um, small 20, you know, 15 to let's say 35 million in, in sales or 40 million in sales. Those kind of companies kind of break through the barrier of 25, or break through the barrier of 50, which is 99% of all staffing companies don't get above 50 million. So if we can, if we can start to really demonstrate that and build case studies, you know, then, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to go to, we're going to go in a big way to market to the industry and, and really whether it's even having a booth at ASA, which is, you know, next week and, and, and the booth really being about being an acquisition company and, and, um, and having case studies to show you like, Hey, if you're a founder and you don't have a succession plan, we not only maintain your brand identity, but here's proof that these are the companies that have come into our network. This is where they were, and this is where they are today. We can do the same for you. We can not only right. maintain your brand legacy, but we can grow it over time and get really and get you know these entrepreneurs, these founders, really excited about um, knowing that their baby is going to be safe with us. I love that. What one question I wanted to ask is for the operating companies, and this there, there, there may not be a single answer to this. But when you start to get engaged with them, you've, you've ensured that culture fit, but then they, they need that platform. They need those, those shared services. What do they typically need most or first? Oh, um, you know, that's a good question. You know, they're, they're, they need, a, they need everything. Um, <laughs> I think that might be the answer. <laughs> Well, okay. So, so, you know, I, I'd say from our experience, technology first, um, a lot of the companies, I mean, I, I think again, a lot of the smaller staffing companies, 
you know, don't have the bandwidth or resources to really kind of look at this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I'll give you an example. We, we acquired the largest staffing company in the state of Maine uh, a few years ago called Bonnie Staffing. Great company, um, mm -hmm. amazing company. Um, you know, their technology was incredibly weak. Their internet was still, I think, running like on um, AOL or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I mean, so they were, you know, when you think about this is, and we've had multiple acquisitions like this where, um, where it takes like five minutes to access things on their computers because they just don't even have the bandwidth. So wow. the first thing we did was, was just, and we were able to kind of create, you know, hundred meg bandwidths into their branch offices for less than what they were paying. And they were like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. Or we, we, we acquired, um, I think it's either the oldest or second oldest staffing company in America, uh, called Stivers. They're mm -hmm. celebrated their 75, uh, 75th year in business. Now that business had really, um, gone down, um, in a, in a lot of ways that, that there was not a lot of love put back into the business for many years. And by the time we, we acquired it, uh, two years ago, 2019, I'll never forget one of our, one of our people were, uh, was in the Chicago office. And they were telling, um, they were telling the branch manager there, Hey, we're going to give you uh, a Chromebook. This is what it looks like. It's going to have your email, all this stuff on. And she's like, what do you mean? No, no. My email's on that computer. It's on the internet computer because the, by design at each branch office, there was only one computer that had internet access wow. and everybody was email was accessing their emails on that one computer. This is a company that was 17 million in sales, uh, in 2019. Like that's what, that th this is what you see in, in, in those environments. Now that was more of a turnaround. We typically buy successful staffing companies. That one was, um, was not necessarily in that type of position and it needed, but, but almost to a T technology seems to be first. Um, marketing is probably, um, it's funny cause we, we've been having these, these conversations this week. I think it, you know, marketing is, is interesting. Cause I think, I don't think there's a ton of sophistication around how people uh, at least people in our industry really understand how marketing is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. um, I think we, in fact, the conversations that we've been having is that, you know, we even, you know, in, in our operating companies, some of them look like marketing is supposed to be support. Like I need a flyer or I need, uh, I need you to get, 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 you know, create this for me. It, you know, marketing by design for at least the way we're, we're, we're approaching it is it's, it's meant to drive revenue period. Like we, we, you know, and there's multiple ways in which you do that, but that's really at the core. Otherwise, why do you, why is marketing exist if it's not helping you grow your business? And um, at least that's the way we're approaching uh, that. And so we're, we're, we're actively educating um, our operating companies on, you know, what good looks like and what kind of services we provide from that, from that perspective so that, you know, we're, we're more strategic in, in how, and how we're, um, how we're pushing marketing through to these operating companies and, and doing it in a way that drives leads and ultimately drives revenue. Love that. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. The, uh, so often marketing is a function in small businesses that doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's an administrative cost center, not a revenue center. And you know, I remember hearing a sales trainer years ago, he wasn't talking about marketing, he was talking about hiring sales reps. And he said, a good sales rep's free. And I feel the same way about marketing. A well-designed marketing strategy is absolutely free. Yes, it's an investment, but... At the end, you know your net cost is um, is zero, or it's it's a multiple on the investment. I mean, we're going to Staffing World next week. You know, we have a revenue goal in mind mm -hmm. based on the cost of attending the conference, and we'll we'll be able to measure: did we get the return on investment? Sure, we have a lot of fun while we're there, and we learn a lot. But bottom line is, did marketing drive an ROI? And you're exactly right, Aaron. So many, particularly small businesses don't look at it that way. And I'm not sure it's because they don't think of it that way or they just don't know how to measure it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we were literally talking about this today that, you know, our mark, our, our current marketing leader, uh, Whitney Cornuke, like she was, she was mentioning like, you know, you can't look at us as a service in the same way you look at the accounting department. You know, the accounting department is, is performing a support function. Mm -hmm. They're trying to execute against something. It's not, you're not going to get necessarily an ROI on that but everything around marketing is all centered around an ROI. Like whatever we spend in marketing, there should be an ROI that, that, that uh, works against it over time. And if you're not thinking of it that way, um, you're not thinking of, think of marketing in the right way. And so, you know, to your point, David, like, you know, as we've gone through this, this acquisition process, I don't know 
we've only, I think one acquisition that we've done had a true marketing uh, professional associated with, and that person was more of a creative. Um, so it was, again, it was mostly about designing things and just like that. It wasn't like, how do I, how do I build a digital marketing engine that, that, you know, drives legion? Like we haven't found any of those and, or we might've found, you know, marketing that, um, is more around the talent acquisition side and, and kind of doing, you know, live blogs or, you know, live Facebook feeds and stuff like that, which are great, but it's not necessarily like high level strategy that that's all centered around creating an ROI on this, on, on the marketing department, basically. Yeah, that's that's gonna, very, oh, go ahead, it sounds similar to the technology issue you mentioned. Like, like they don't know what they don't have. They're not educated or they're not learning the, what the what is out there because they're so focused on driving the growth in their business or keeping their business afloat or doing what they've been doing for years and years and years. So it, it strikes me as being very much to your core purpose about leading to their pot- potential by educating them about technology, what's available, how you should view marketing, how you should you know, run your company with the culture and all the services that you're bringing. Is that yeah, it, it, that exactly. In, in fact, like you know, because I really do live this, uh, this purpose of, of realizing potential and, 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 and wanting to help our industry. I mean, obviously with, with able and, and pushing that out, you know, a lot of that is too, is like, I want to help the industry provide a better experience for, for, uh, for the customers. Cause I, that, I think it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, what, um, I just lost my train of thought around this. Um, what was I just talking about? I had a, I had a point. <laughs> uh, we're, you were just mentioning something purpose around or helping them reach their potential, the smaller businesses. And uh, oh, we can oh, no. You're, it's yeah. it's it was something good. It, it, was, it was something good. When you All stop right. trying to think of it, you'll think of it. David, you're going to say yeah. something. No, I was going to um, kind of reflect backwards now. And the, Aaron, if the, the other answer jumps in your mind, feel free to just change direction. But the, uh, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, not just with talent launch, but prior to that as well. And so, you know, any successful entrepreneur learns, it's not a linear progression. You'll, you'll learn a lot along the way. So I'd love to hear from you favorite war stories and, you know, it can be on the positive and negative side, but where were some of the biggest lessons learned? Cause you've been through some amazing times in our industry. But I think, you know, learning just how, how business really operates, you know, one of the, one of the lessons learned that, that, that really never thought of. Like, you know, I remember, you know, when I first started my business when I was 27 and I just wanted to grow it, just keep growing it. And then I and then got it to 20 million in six years. And I'm like, all right, get to hundred million. And what I didn't know is that, you know, every business is part of the journey of trying to accomplish that. You're going to hit ceilings all along the way. And I would have never, no one ever taught me that, that, hey, your process, the way you think about your system more than likely is going to get you to a place and then you're going to get stuck. And, and, and so you see, obviously, a lot of people and a lot of businesses get stuck and they stay stuck. And, you know, I think it's the wrestler in me. I wrestled in college and, and all that. I think the wrestler in me is like, I, I can't get stuck. I got to figure out how to get out of this move and, and, and continue to win. And so in doing that, um, it's, a, it's a really hard journey and it's not fun because a lot of times the people that you are working with that help you get to that that place, and then you get stuck. A lot of those people may not have the capacity to help you figure out how to get to the next place. And so you have to make really hard decisions along the way. And it, it costs friendships. It could, you know, it could, it, it can obviously hurt people and you're not, you're not meaning to, but at the end of the day, you know, I have an obligation to the visions, the company that we've created and to the people that, you know, gain their livelihood for being a part of this. And, and when I say I'm going to do something, I mean it, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go and do it. And, and I, and I, I very much say that expectation up front. I maintain that expectation, that agreement, the entire, the entire time I have a relationship with anybody, I've gotten better over the last few years by, you know, when I hire somebody, I want to make sure they understand this idea of hitting ceilings and that right now we're good for, you know, hopefully as long as you fit our culture and you're doing all the right things, you know, I would say 250 million is our next, our next level that we're all going to kind of look, I'm going to look up at myself. I'm going to look at everybody and then say, are we, are, do we, are we the right team that can get us to 500? And, and, and I honestly believe, I don't know if I'm that guy. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want to, I want to try and I want to try and inspire to be, aspire to be that person, but I don't know if I am. So I, I, I have to make that self-reflection on myself too, and just be, and just be honest with, with it. But that, that's really a lesson, a hard lesson I learned um, over time. But now that, you know, it was my advisory board that kind of helped me through this back in 2011 uh, when I first really went through a, 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 a big, a big transition uh, of kind of moving past the ceiling. And ever since then, like, it, you know, I, I can see when it's happening and I can make decisions much faster around it so that we can get through it quicker, but it's still very painful each and every time. So that's, that's a big lesson that I've learned in that's this huge. journey. That's huge. And I really appreciate your vulnerability there by talking about that. Cause I don't think, you know, we, we start out as entrepreneurs, a lot of us, and we grow our business with what we know, much like these companies that you're acquiring and you only know so much and you could, you only have capacity to learn what you can learn and other people are growing at different rates. We see this in EO, you know, uh, I'm going to all sorts of learning things, but everybody on our team is not. So there's this divide between my growth and some of our team's growth. And, you know, you see it in spouses and marriages, you see it all over the place. We don't, hey, wait a minute, I might take that one personally. <laughs> we don't all grow <laughs> at the same capacity and, and we have to be able to bridge that gap or decide it's not a gap we want to bridge. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Appreciate so, the story. Yeah. Thank you very much, Aaron. Um, people who want to get a hold of you, I have a feeling there's going to be some listeners who may be inspired by the talent launch vision and uh, are interested in you checking them out. So uh, where's if someone's on the owner of a staffing company and they're aspiring to do what you're doing, where can they learn more about you and talent launch? Well, our, our website address is, uh, is www.mytalentlaunch.com. And uh, you can also message me on LinkedIn. I believe it's Aaron Scott Grossman is the, is the profile, but uh, so you can look that up and, and message me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I think those are probably the two best ways to learn about us and, and to, and to, and to uh, get in touch with me. You know, just message me on LinkedIn and I'll uh, be more than happy to, uh, to talk to anybody who's interested in kind of maybe becoming a part of our network. Fantastic. Well, we'll put uh, that information in the show notes. So if you're listening and want to get in touch with Aaron, uh, want to learn more about the Redwood and the pillars and the roots, um, check out the mytalentlaunch.com site. And Aaron, I want to thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. And actually really looking forward to seeing you next week in Denver at Staffing World. Yeah, look forward to seeing you too. I'm excited to get out and see people and yeah. see our industry for the first time in a long time. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love Denver. So yeah, it is going to be great. We'll yeah. see you next week. Definitely. Awesome. Wow, it was fun to talk to Aaron. I don't know that I've ever met Aaron in person, but I know all about him and I've seen him on different podcasts and stuff, but he was really impressive in person and his stories were great. And I, I feel like I could have talked to him all day. Yeah, I was looking um, at the clock and I felt like we were rushing at the end after 50 minutes. I was like, uh-oh, uh, we told him 30 minutes and then we kept going because I agree. It's, it's just fun to hear someone who is so passionate, that has strong beliefs, that lives by strong beliefs, that has grown their business by beliefs. And you know, everybody talks about culture, 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 but the majority of companies don't use it as the foundation for how they run their business. And clearly Aaron and Talent Launch are doing that. Yeah, I think, well, that and the purpose and the fact that, well, I think this is probably true for a lot of entrepreneurs, but the purpose of his company is tied very directly to his own personal purpose, which means he's got a passion about his business and it comes through when you talk to him. So I thought it was really interesting how he works to find his tribe and really find the right companies to acquire and it sounds like they're incredibly picky about it, but it's working. And, you know, we know that it can be very difficult to um, merge cultures and, you know, to see them do it successfully. It's, it's really hopeful. Yeah. I, I really liked when you asked him about his purpose and he talked about the fact that he's about motivating the world to realize its potential. I'm like, that doesn't have anything to do with staffing. It's not recruiting. It's not hiring. But he's found a vision that he could talk to any new employee about. And it's pretty inspiring as a sentence. Like, we're going to help the world to realize its potential. And you may say it's grandiose, but then you say, well, this is how we're doing it. 
We're putting people to work. We're helping entrepreneurs leave a legacy. I love that part too, is he's, he's buying businesses, but he's not killing the owner. Yeah, so often too. in M&A, the owner's gone in 18 months to three years and really frustrated with the acquiring company, not this guy is going to help me build my legacy that I loved. I did too. I thought that was really great. And I, I do, I thought his, I thought that purpose actually was very much tied to staffing and recruiting because it's all about helping people and staffing ultimately is the people. I feel like I say this every single time we record a podcast, but staffing is all about the people and we can't lose sight of that. But I loved how it was also all about the data. Like, that was so <laughs> exciting. stole my next line. Like, I could have spent an hour just talking about business intelligence. So what was your take on that? Frustration, complete and utter frustration because <laughs> our business, with, we don't have an ATS that does everything. So we have all these damn silos. data silos <laughs> that don't talk to one another and they have very disaggregated information. So I would, and maybe it was just jealousy. Like I, I liked, when we talked a little bit after we stopped recording, you know, he, he mentioned specifically what they're doing in Bullhorn and how they've created common platforms for various segments of their business. And I thought that was fantastic because you need the data in a way you can use it to learn from it. And so often we have piles of data and no intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not something one of the smaller companies that, um, talent launch is acquiring is going to have. So that's something huge that they're bringing to these companies when they do it. It's very like the, you know, the technology and the marketing that we talked about these smaller companies that, um, you know, it's hard to believe that in 2021, somebody doesn't have good internet access, especially after the year we've been through. And then the, the thought process on marketing too. Yeah, I, I was really interested in both. Um, I'd like to talk about the technology for a second. I, I'm fascinated by the hiring platforms and where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, there's multiple camps. The It's going to go to centralized platforms, the Upworks of the world, or it's going to go to more distributed platforms, specialty staffing companies that might own their local market, that might own a specific job function. I liked when Aaron said that, well, maybe I didn't like this, but I appreciate it when Aaron said, He's scared for what five years from now is going to look like because they've got to find some way to play in that world because it's going to disrupt. So far, technology has been an enabler for staffing, but we're in the last leg before it's a real big disruptor. And that one is scary because if you're that small to mid-sized staffing company, how do you compete? Well, and I think COVID, and I, I believe you mentioned this, the pandemic moved this along faster we all thought, oh, that's going to happen, but it's 10 years out. We don't really have to worry about it today. And unfortunately, it's two to five years out. Five years might be a long time. So we have to worry about it right now, because if you wait, it's gonna, your company's going to suffer. Yeah, and I think the staffing company, you know, whatever size you are, where there's an opportunity in this technology is trust. Mm-hmm. So you, you've talked about many times, it's about the relationship, it's about the people, but I'm going to say it's about the trust, because hiring for most businesses is painful. And you know, if, if it's large corporate America, if they've got an HR department, a talent acquisition department that might manage the process, but for the hiring manager, they hate it. Small mm-hmm. business owners hate it. Mm-hmm. So if there's somebody that I can go to that ha- both has a platform, but I trust their information. Like right now, if I go to a big, if I go to a Fiverr, okay? I can see reviews, but I don't trust them. And the staffing company can bring that trust that this is truly vetted talent. And I know what I'm getting. And I think there's an opportunity. I may not have access to the world, but I don't need access to the world. I need access to enough really good, well-qualified people as fast as I can get them. And I see lots of staffing companies being able to provide that by marrying their services with a hiring platform. What do you think? Oh, I agree. I, I think there's more to it, though, that, that you know, writing the right job descriptions, really understanding who you're hiring, why you're hiring that person, what the mission of that job is, what the outcomes you're expecting, what the KPIs are. None of that's going to be in a hiring platform. That's in front of the hiring platform. And that I think is an opportunity that's huge for a staffing company is to help educate, help define those roles, help to write the job description 
help to determine, you know, what are the values we live by that we're hiring for? All of those things. That's the yeah. human part. And the, the, the hiring platforms today, they may ensure or help to ensure a skill fit, but they don't ensure a culture fit. And if, exactly. I, if culture is important to the job getting done, if it's just a task, maybe it doesn't matter. But if culture is important to the job getting done, hiring platforms are going to need to evolve. And that's probably where they marry to the staffing companies. Uh, let's talk marketing because he brought up marketing. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was sort of jumping up and down cheering when he said it, it needs to be more strategic. And so often for smaller to mid-sized staffing companies, marketing is, well, we have someone who does social media. We've hired a creative and they do brochures. And I, I remember talking to Jeff who came from Talent Launch and he said one of the challenges with some of the operating companies is they, he, he was constantly being asked to do things that were low value transactional because that's how they viewed marketing as it was a center for creating stuff, not for driving decisions. Well, I think so often marketing is viewed as a sales tool. So my salespeople need a flyer. They need a drop-off. They need social media pictures and they need, you know, whatever, not as a strategic part of the company. And you know, that's something that for 25 years, we've been trying to educate the, the industry on. I'm not sure we've been successful, but we need to continue educating. Yeah. And, and it's about putting together, you know, we'll talk about creating a roadmap, but it's a roadmap that starts with what am I trying to accomplish and what's the best strategy and then the tactics and then my action plan. And it's all a very logical flow of how you design a marketing plan, but too often it's driven by, but everyone's on TikTok. And so now I've got to start with a tactic in search of a strategy rather than a goal with a strategy. And I think small businesses could find a much higher return on their marketing investment by thinking that strategic top down as opposed to tactic up. Well, absolutely. And it changes marketing from a cost center. And I think you said this to a profit center and it should be a profit center. Marketing there should, should always be-, be an ROI. I love that. Yeah. Marketing should always be free. And more than that, it should be paying you. So let's wrap it up with the last lesson that Aaron shared, because I know I've heard you say this to me about every business hitting ceilings. Uh, talk a little bit about where you've heard that. And I love the quote that you heard. Well, um, I am part of the entrepreneurial master program at MIT through entrepreneurs organization EO. We talk about that a lot on this podcast because it's been so impactful in our business and Aaron brought it up as well. One of the speakers there, and I think it was Vern Harnish, but I'm not hundred percent sure mentioned that every single time you double the size of your company, 50% of the people and processes no longer serve your company. That's painful. Like, think about that. And, and Aaron actually was quite um, emotional, vulnerable in that moment, talking about that, because it is a hard thing. Somebody that's been with you for, you know, five, 10 years, whatever, and suddenly you discover this person is no longer a fit because our company has changed so dramatically because it's grown and this person hasn't kept up. And it's hard because we're, we don't all grow at the same rate. We don't all grow in the same direction. So that's going to happen. And you see it a lot in our processes. Yeah, the processes, they, they collapse under their own weight mm-hmm. as you grow because what worked at a certain size, you just can't scale. And because usually it's because it's too manual. Uh, there, there's too many touch points and or that it can't serve the way your customers need to work. Uh, or it's I know, not as I, know as I see our back office staff dealing with that all the time that we've got. Yeah billing processes that were fine when there was a certain number of invoices per month, but when you triple that, uh, it's no longer so fine. Uh, I did like, as part of that, um, when, when Aaron talked a little bit about having an obligation to serving the people who worked for him, because I know personally, I struggle. When you have to make a hard decision like that, and we've had to do that a couple of times in our history, I'm terrible at it. But Aaron said he has to to remind himself that I have an obligation to serve the mission of the business and the people who came on board because of that mission, that if he's not doing his job as the CEO, he's letting down the people who joined the team. And that was really powerful for me. In, in my experience, and that was powerful for me too. In my experience though, when you have to let somebody go in that circumstance, they know, they understand, and they're feeling it because they no longer fit. So they're no longer happy. And it's not serving their, them either. So 
I kind of I view my role as co-CEO as, as serving the company, but it's also serving everyone of our team and making sure that our team members are aligned and they're getting what they need to out of the business. So as the business grows, it may not be growing in the directions right for them. And we need to be mindful of that and transition them out and help them with that transition and just be very careful about it um, and honest and transparent and vulnerable. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's hard even internally for our business, probably for any staffing company to have that level of trust that you know, if, if somebody feels like things aren't working out, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. If the best future for any individual from the individual's perspective or the company's perspective is in a different direction, it doesn't have to be the traditional, well, you're fired because you're not hitting your goals. Yeah. It's let's have a, and I know it's referred to as a mindful transition, but let's have a process where we're helping you take the next right step for you while we're taking the next right step for us. It's win-win instead of lose-lose. And, and I'll say that that goes very well to um, Aaron's purpose and it's company's purpose, right? It's the same kind of thing, helping people to their potential. Awesome. Well, great stuff as usual. Um, hope everybody enjoyed today's show. If you did enjoy the podcast, we'd love to have a review. Give us a rating, give us some feedback, email us. Um, your response helps us know how we're doing. And for Vicki and I, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success.